Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is the podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Matthew. Today is episode 830, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 36. Let's read the passage. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. The blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, so that the outside of it may be also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophet's blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sins. Snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I am sending you prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I tell you, all these things will come on this generation. This is the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew's writing this gospel, this account of the ministry of Jesus, to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's been interacting with the religious leaders. It started with his dramatic entry into the city and the cleansing of the temple. Then they challenged his authority. He told them the three parables about not doing the will of God and facing judgment. They knew he was talking about them, and so started looking for a way to arrest him. Groups came testing him, trying to trap him into saying something scandalous. The Pharisees and Herodians came, then the Sadducees, then the expert in the law. Now we're in this section of the seven woes on the scribes and Pharisees. Last time we saw the first three of them. I told you last time that some see a structure in this, a chiasm, a parallelism, and I think it works well. We'll point it out as we go through it. But woe number one is parallel to woe number seven. Woe number two is parallel to woe number six. Woe number three is parallel to woe number five. And the woe number four stands there in the middle. So we'll pick it up here on verse 23, which is woe number four, the middle woe. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is what he's been saying generally on all of them. He, uh, except one, he includes the word hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay, what's he talking about here? He's talking about tithing, giving a tenth of what you get 
to God. So farmers harvest, and they're supposed to offer a tenth of what they harvest to the Lord. So even your backyard herb garden, they are very careful about setting aside a tenth of every little leaf of spice that they cut off. They set a tenth of that aside to then bring as an offering because they're so meticulous about the attention to detail in this stuff. Yet, you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, it's not that they're opposed to justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They just don't think about them. Their main focus is following rules rather than the well-being of people or people's actual relationship with God. He goes on and says, These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat but gulp down a camel. So he's not saying you shouldn't be setting aside a tenth of your little spices. He said, that's fine. You should do that. But you're neglecting more important things. You need to see the big picture. He calls them blind guides. Here you are guiding people, but you can't see yourself. So the strain out a gnat but gulp down a camel. This is the idea that you have something to drink say, and a gnat flies into it. Well, a gnat's an unclean insect. You're not supposed to eat gnats. And so they would strain the drink to get the gnat out of it. But a camel's also an unclean animal. He says, you're so meticulous about making sure this gnat is not in your food, but there could be a camel in it. You gulp it right down without a thought. And so the the idea here is you're meticulous about little details, but you're missing the big picture. There's a little Aramaic word play that goes on with gnat and camel. The Aramaic word for gnat is galma, and the word for camel is gamla. So they sound very similar. So there's some word play there with gnat and camel that we miss in the English. But the idea is you're very detailed about details, but miss the big picture. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgent. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may also become clean. Now this is speaking of their cleanliness rules, about the cleaning of eating utensils for ritual cleanliness. It's not about them being clean of dirt. It's that must be clean in the proper way, in the proper order, so that it's ritually clean. Remember, the religious leaders challenged Jesus' disciples for not washing their hands. It wasn't that they were dirty. It was they weren't following the prescribed procedure for ritual cleanliness. So they're very caught up in the ritual, in the procedures, in the details. And so he's using this as a metaphor for people. The idea that people maybe outwardly seem clean, but inside are morally, ethically corrupt. The whole idea that the heart is more important than the external aspects of things. So what's inside is what matters, where they just focus on exterior, external things. So you could kind of sum this up of they're trying to follow the biblical rules, but they're really misapplying them. So you could say this is a misguided use of scripture 
and it's parallel to woe number three, which was a misguided use of scripture. Verse 27, this is the sixth woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Well, in the month prior, leading up to Passover, they actually took lime and whitewashed the graves near Jerusalem. So people, pilgrims coming from far off, wouldn't accidentally touch a grave. Because to touch a grave would be to make you unclean. And the process would take so long to become clean again, you would actually miss the Passover because you would be ceremonially unclean. And so the comparison here, Jesus spells it out that they are like this. They look good on the outside, like a whitewashed tomb, but inside are corrupt, inside are unclean. You could call this superficially zealous, but actually doing more harm than good, which would make it parallel to woe number two. Verse 29, woe number seven. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. Well, the point here is they have the graves of the tombs of the prophets and their memorials to the greatness of these prophets. And they say, well, those prophets were mistreated back in the time. You know, if we were around then, we sure wouldn't have done that. Well, you know they would have. He says, verse 31, so you testify against yourselves. It's your descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sins. So he's saying they're heirs of those who failed to recognize the Old Testament prophets. And this is parallel to number one, failure to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So it's a failure to recognize those sent by God. He sums up verse 33 through 36. Snakes, brood of vipers, strong language. How can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I'm sending you prophets, sages, and scribes. Let's pause there. So he says, I am sending. This is now and in the future. Christian prophets, sages, and scribes? I think he's just using words they understand. He's sending his messengers. Just as he sent prophets in the Old Testament, he's sending out people with the Christian message, with the gospel. Basically, prophets and teachers, those to proclaim the word of God and those to teach the word of God. He continues, some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Well, it begins with Cain and Abel there, the first murderer we see in the Bible, to the prophet Zechariah, who was murdered. Truly I tell you, all these things will come on this generation. So here he actually expands it from just woe on the scribes and Pharisees to this generation. And what he's getting at here is he's denouncing the religious leaders, absolutely. But the people have a choice to make. They have to either follow Jesus or follow these religious leaders. And by and large, they will end up following the religious leaders. 
There will be those who do follow Jesus, just like he's pronouncing woes on the scribes and Pharisees. Are there individual scribes and Pharisees who follow Jesus? Yes, there are. But by and large, as a group, they do not. They oppose him. They will participate in having him executed. And so the judgment coming on this generation, they've got a choice to make. As a generation, follow Jesus or follow the religious leaders. They choose to follow the religious leaders. There are those individuals, though, sizable number, who will follow Jesus. And that's the case for everybody throughout time. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the ways of the world? Or are you going to follow Jesus? I mentioned the chiasm, the structure of all this. The uh, first and seventh woes are parallel. That's recognizing those that God has sent as his messengers. Woe two and woe six are parallel. This is the being superficially zealous, but doing more harm than good. Woe threes and five are parallel. This is the misguided use of scripture. And then the center, woe four, the fundamental failure to discern the thrust of scripture. That's where they miss the big picture. And these three in the center all deal with this idea of rightly understanding and applying scripture. And it is so central to being a child of God, to following God, understanding God's word rightly understanding God's word and applying it to life and following it. All these things they would talk about working on the details but missing the big picture. We're in danger of doing that. We get caught up. We approach the Bible like a rule book to follow versus seeing the big picture of how to know God and follow God. That God cares how we treat one another, how we love one another, how we support one another and how we worship him and love him and obey him. We get caught up in the do this, don't do that, but miss the issues of the heart. That's what really matters. And so these three center woes have to do with their approach to Scripture. Are they viewing it like a rule book? Or are they viewing it like a letter from God of how to know God? Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Matthew.